We're going to go to Daniel chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, I want to go ahead and let you go there. We're starting a brand new five-week series today on how to stand in the face of a culture that tells you to sit. We're going to talk about the book of Daniel that teaches us to stand up when opposition comes. And today there's five different topics we're going to go over for the next five weeks. And today is to stand out, to not to blend in. You know, how do we stand out in the right ways at the right time and for the right reason? Because I believe with all my heart that the content in these next few messages could impact this church in a very significant way. Because when we stand out in the right ways at the right time for the right reason, it can change the course of direction of our lives. But the flip side of that is true as well in the sense that when we compromise with the wrong things in the wrong ways at the wrong times, it can cost us way more than we can ever imagine at this time. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at how do we take a stand for the things that matter the most. And what I want to do real quick is just give you just a little bit of context of what the next five weeks is going to look like. So next week, we're going to look at how do we stand up for what is right. And we're going to look at Daniel again and look at five different stories within the Old Testament book of Daniel. We're going to see how he stood up to the king who had the power to take his life. But as Daniel stands up to him and tells him to stop living the life in which he was living, and to do what is right, it is absolutely amazing to see what happens. And so we're going to look at that in week three. We're going, to, uh, we're going to look at how to stand up for things that matter the most. The king says you can't pray anymore for a certain amount of time. And what does Daniel say? He predecides in his heart that I'm going to pray three times a day. So how do we stand up to a culture that tells us to sit? In week four, where it's by far the favorite message that I'm going to do. And it's how to continue to have faith in prayer when everything around you looks dim. It's a very emotional message for me as Daniel's been praying and Michael the archangel comes to him and tells him that God has already heard his prayer. The cry of his heart and I believe this will minister and then week five we're going to talk about how to stand firm in the flames. Is when opposition comes our way and we're asked to stand in the fire. How do we respond? So we're going to be talking about that over the next five weeks. Today, though, we're going to talk about standing out. And what I want you to do for just a moment is I want you to dive in and think with me because I want us to do a little bit of work and lay some groundwork or some context that's going to come in the next couple weeks. So as we begin in Daniel chapter 1, I want to give you just a little bit of the backstory. And then we're going to read um, Daniel chapter 1 today. King Nebuchadnezzar was the king at the time. He was an evil king who destroyed Jerusalem. And this guy was so evil that he didn't just destroy the city, but he burned their temple. And then to add insult to injury, he went into their temple and took all their religious symbols and he crushed them, destroyed them, and he burned them as if to say, the worship of your God is so obsolete, I'm taking out anything that even matters to you that would be remotely close to the worship in whom you say is the one true living God. Then not only did he destroy the city and the temple and all the religious symbols, but to make it even worse, here's what he did. He said, I'm going to destroy any hope that you may have for tomorrow as well as your president what he did was he talked to the leaders 
of Jerusalem. And he said, go find the sharpest and brightest sons of the royalty and the nobles. And I want you to basically kidnap them. And when you do that, I want you to bring them to me. And I'm going to teach them how I want them to be. I want them to talk as I would want them to talk. I want them to think as I would want them to think. And I would want them to do as I would want them to do. They are going to be my leaders in this new government. So not only am I going to destroy Jerusalem as you know it, your present but your sons and your daughters i'm going to take them too so that you no longer have any hope and that's what happened and so we're going to go to the book of daniel we're going to talk about this for just a minute the book of daniel chapter one we're going to begin in verse number one and kind of re-explain some some of the things that i just mentioned and give some more details with us so here's what the bible says okay in the third year of the reign of, of um, Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and to put into the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal home, young men without any defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. In other words, go find those who were voted most likely to succeed and bring them to me. Those are the people that I want. He was to teach them the language and literature. Listen to this. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Here's what he said. I want them to think like we think. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine at the king's table. Now, that's important, and we're going to go back to that in just a moment. But then they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So here's what I want you to notice from this passage. It was a very intentional and strategic plan to, for these young boys to be indoctrinated into the Babylonian culture. In other words, the king wanted him to think like he thought. Do as he did, behave as he behaved, and believe as he believed. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like maybe something like that is happening today? When people are telling the church how they should act, when they can meet, when they are allowed to talk, what they are allowed to do, and what they should believe. And all of our young children are hearing this in their schools and at their workplace. And I'm telling you, it's time for the church to stand up and stop allowing this to happen. This, I believe, mirrors the strategy of the spiritual enemy. The prince of darkness who wants those who believe in Christ to think like he thinks, believe what he believes, to behave like he'd want us to behave. In fact, I believe Satan wants everybody on planet earth to disregard the teaching of the one true God and to submit and to surrender to the systems of this world. And there is a full-on spiritual attack against people today, and we as the body of Christ must not back down. We have what I like to call cultural Christians. Now, pastor, what does that mean? Let me tell you. Well, they're everywhere. They're people that when you'd say, hey, do you believe in God? Absolutely, I believe in God. Well, do you go to church? Absolutely, I go to church. But then their character and their life doesn't represent what they say. It's a cultural Christian. 
They say one thing and do something opposite. It'd be like saying I can work out one time a year and just be in shape. Or I can tell my wife I love you just one time and my marriage would be fine. It doesn't happen that way. It is a process in which if you are to get your, yourself healthy, you are to work out on a consistent basis. Because the Bible teaches us that consistency is sometimes what brings about holiness within our lives. Amen? So we have to, we, we can't allow culture to dictate how we think and what we should say. We can't go to church for just one hour a week and expect to be growing and thrive. We've got to make the presence of God a priority in our life where you seek Him, where you depend on Him, where you're living and dwelling in His Word, where it is feeding you, where it's renewing your mind, where you're learning to walk by faith and not by what you see. You're hearing His Spirit guide you. In fact, that's why Paul says to put on the full armor of God. Because if we leave out a piece of that armor, we're leaving a part of us exposed. Well, I'm protecting my heart, I'm protecting my feet, but my head is wide open. And that's why culture today, it doesn't know what they're supposed to think. So we're sitting back just like a bunch of robots saying, hey, what are we supposed to say? And then we say it. We can't act that way. When we have the helmet on our heads, we are protecting our minds to where we know that no matter what culture says, what the Bible says is true. And that's how I'm going to live my life. Amen. The Bible says to put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can what? Take a stand. That's what we're talking about. It says take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, what's it say? Put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to what? Your ground, and after you have done everything, to that's what we do. We stand. We don't sit and bow down to culture. We stand in the presence of an almighty God. Amen? And I would submit to you that if you're never standing out, then you're blending in. And if you're blending in, you're not truly committed to Christ. And I know that may hurt, but it's the truth. If we're not standing out, we're blending in. And that's not who Jesus called us to be. He said we are chosen. We are a what? A peculiar people. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to stand out. We're supposed to act different, look different, speak different. Because the world is supposed to see that there's something inside of me that they may be lacking. So when I have the Spirit of God in my life and they're struggling and don't know what to say or do, they can say, hey, there's something about Paula that's a little bit different than everybody else. And I've got to talk to her. I've got to get with her. I've got to find out what she's got that I don't have. And when you present the Scripture to somebody in such a way where they can't resist the power of God in her life and they accept the power of God in their entire life, can change amen and I would submit to you again that this word holy is how we're supposed to be the word holy means to be what to be set apart be holy as I am holy that's what the scripture says and that's what we're going to see happen in the life of Daniel and his three friends. So if we go on to verse number 6 and verse number 7 in Daniel chapter 1, here's how the story reads. 
Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. Now, I want you to think about this because what we're going to see is in, in what, and what we're going to watch happen here is that they wanted to change two things. They're going to change their diet and they're going to change their name. They're going to change their diet and they're going to change their names. Now, why did they change their names? Just get just a little bit of context here. How old were these boys? We don't know for sure, but many would say they're somewhere by the age of 12. They were young children. They were still learning everything about life. They were trying to understand who they were. They were trying to, to, to do the right thing. We would think of these boys in today's world of being in like a middle school or something of that nature. And they were stripped of who they thought they were, taken 1,000 miles away from their home, crushed of all dignity. And the first thing the king wants to do is to change their name as if to say, I want to confuse you. I don't want you to know who you really are. Why? Because their original names were tied to the worship of Yahweh. Their original names literally were translated worship to God, the one true God. The meaning of their names given by their parents were to worship the one true living God. Their new names, the ones that this new king were, were, that had given them, were now tied to the worship of the pagan gods. So essentially, every time someone calls you by name, that in essence is who you are. Names have power. These, these names were to worship God and when the king changed their name, it was a reminder to them that the king said, you are to no longer worship Yahweh, but rather you need to worship these pagan gods. Now I want you to listen closely. They were born to worship God. Did you hear that? We were created today. We are created with a purpose to worship the one true living God. These boys were born to worship God and then culture told them, no, 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 you got to do something else. But then they're going to change their diet. You're supposed to eat, we read within the passage, the food that's prepared for the king. Now, why is that important? Because I don't know about you, but I'm thinking that sounds pretty good, right? The king's table I don't get just a slice of chicken. I get the whole chicken. Come on now, somebody. We're thinking it's going to be something good. You're going to be now, you're going to sit at the king's table. I want what the king's going to eat. The problem was that the, because the food was prepared to a king who worshipped a pagan god, the meat and the wine were also dedicated to that pagan god. And this created a real problem for Daniel and his friends because they still wanted to worship and honor Yahweh in every way possible. And to eat or drink anything dedicated to a, to a pagan god would cross a line that in their mind they would be disrespectful and they just could never do. So what did they do? When do you take a stand? When are you supposed to take a stand? He took a stand when God's name might be defamed. 
I'm not going to let you insult the name of my God. When it came to the food, it crossed the line. Now, I want you to understand this because I love this part of this passage because he made a predetermined resolution. Before the temptation was ever there, he predecided what he would do and what he would do. He predecided, and that's why he was so successful. The man of our culture could do that today if we, we'd have less people fall into sin. If they predetermined before they ever got there that I will not allow this to come between me and God. You see, had he not predecided, you put the food there, they may have been hungry. He could have done what I've done so many times in my life where we've compromised and rationalized something that maybe wasn't really right. I might have said, man, I'm starving. That looks pretty good. Let me just take a couple of bites because I know I can pray afterwards. It's going to be okay. And that's what a lot of people today do with sin. Well, I'll just do it this one time and I'll just pray about it later. But later it's not promised, child of God. Let me tell you something. You live for God today and every day. And we cannot compromise the word of God. But here's the key. He predetermined. He resolved in his heart ahead of time. He made a decision before he was faced with the temptation to do what was right. And I would argue all day long this point right here for those of you that love Jesus. Your success in so many different spiritual avenues will be determined by what you decide ahead of time. Many of you, and I don't know who this is going to speak to today, but I believe the Holy Spirit can personalize it just for you. There are some things you need to predetermine in your life that you will no longer allow to come between you and God. You need to decide now that no matter what happens, I will always do the right thing. I've predecided to serve God and honor Him in that way. We must predetermine that our values in Christ is everything and that nothing will hinder that relationship with Him. But let me be clear too, we almost we, we don't just predetermine things we don't do, we also predetermine things that we are going to do. Like in my life, I have predetermined that I'm in church every single week. Why? Because do I get to heaven because I come to church? No. But I, when I'm in church and around like-minded people and I'm in the presence of God, I'm less likely to fall into temptation. So I've predecided in my life that no matter what happens, I'm in church. I've also predetermined that I will keep my eyes pure. I'm not going to look at anything that could cause me to fall. I decide ahead of time so that when the temptation comes, I already have predetermined in my heart. I will not go there. I have resolved in my heart. I decide before the event what I will and will not do. I have predetermined that my relationship with God and my relationship with my spouse and my kids come before everything else. Those are things I have predecided. I have predetermined all these things because if you're not standing out, you're blending in. And if you're blending in, we're not honoring God. Y'all got quiet. And what sounds like when you read this, well, that must have been easy. It's a one-time event, right? I'll just push away the food from the table this one time. No, but you got to understand something. These boys were brought, were brought before the king every breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day. And they pushed aside that food at breakfast. 
They pushed aside the food at lunch. They pushed aside the food at dinner because they had predetermined that nothing was going to come between them and the one true living God. Now, I want you to watch the wisdom of Daniel here in chapter 1, beginning in verse number 12. Daniel says to the government leader, who, mind you, is above him. He says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. I love it. I want you to check it out. What did they not do? Instead of making a big protest or causing a big fit or making a scene with wisdom, they presented a plan respecting the power above them. They said, hey, can we just simply try something different? Because, listen, I teach my kids all the time, a, a temper tantrum is not going to get your way. Okay? And we as children of God need to understand the same thing. When culture tells us to do something, a temper tantrum is not going to get us our way. Rather, we show with wisdom, just like Daniel did, is let's present to you another plan. So here's what happened. You, you see, because you can stand out for the right things in the right way, but you can also stand out for the right things in the wrong way. And when you stand up for the right things in the wrong way, it sends a message that Christians are a bunch of hypocrites and we can't be doing that. We stand up for the right things in the right way at the right time so that we can present to the world a Christ who, who, who they understand loves them even though they may still be in sin. But he loves them anyway. You see, we have opportunities every single day to pre-decide, to, to choose. Read, uh, resolve in your heart this is where I'm willing to be different. This is where I'm called to be different. And I don't care if friends talk about me. I don't care if my circle of friends becomes smaller. Because let me tell you something. When somebody walks away from your life, don't go chasing them. God might have removed them for a reason. Because the season in which you are in, they are not supposed to be in your life at that time. So let them go. Now y'all got real quiet. This, this is the truth. Let's move on. Verse number 18. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and watch this. He found none equal. Come on. To Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. He found none equal. You see, God gave them supernatural understanding because they weren't willing to bow down to culture. They presented a plan of wisdom. They presented a plan that would not bow down to what the world told us to do. They said, we're going to do it a different way. We're going to do it God's way. And because we did it God's way, they found none equal. None equal. Somebody say amen. Think about it. Had they compromised, their testimony would have been gone. You hear it? We cannot compromise. Because when we do, our testimony is over. It's done. 
People won't see you the same way anymore. I can't get up here and preach one way and act another. I can't tell people about Christ and live in sin. Because when we do, that's what's turned people away from the church. That's what's turned people away from God. Because Christians are acting cultural. And that's not the way in which we should live. We are not cultural Christians. We are kingdom-minded Christians. And that means what the Bible says is what we should do. Amen. I've gotten off of my notes. I don't know about you, but with all my heart, I'd rather be remembered for standing out than be dismissed because I blended in. Can I say that again? I would rather be rejected for standing out than accepted because I blended in. <laughs> it's a mindset. They had the courage to stand out. If they, if they didn't stand out, nothing historic would have happened. And we're going to see over the next five weeks. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I want to preach it all right now, but I can't. Because I, if I preach it all now, then I have nothing to preach next week. So I've got to keep it in my body for a couple weeks. We don't stand out to make a statement either. Can I say that? We don't stand out to make a statement. We stand out because he's called us to be different. If the byproduct is a statement, then so be it. But that's not my intention and why I stand out. I stand out, Ted, because the word of God tells me to. We stand against the devil's schemes. We're putting on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the belt of truth. My shoes are prepared with the gospel and the readiness of peace. And I'm going to take my stand against the enemy's attack. And when we've done everything else, the Bible says we will not kneel, but rather we will stand. Why? Because Jesus stood and died for us. He called us not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we'll be able to test and approve what his will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. Listen, I can't be a part-time Christian. Because I don't serve a part-time God. I serve a God who is for me, not against me. I serve a God who has gone before me to fight all the battles that I'll ever face. I serve a God that has been with me from the beginning and will continue to be with me until the end. So I cannot give up on him in times when he's not given up on me. I feel his presence today. God lead us to live in such a way that our lives would bring you glory God if it means being different and mocked then so be it God if we want to do what you've called us to do to be different in a way that honors you to be transformed in the presence by your spirit that our lives would bring you glory God, we will not bow down to culture. We will stand. We will stand for what is right. We will stand for what is right, but we will stand in the right way at the right time so that it's not making a statement or bringing attention to ourselves, but God, we're standing so that it brings attention to the most high living God.
See, I want you to see something. I want you to see something here. And, and, and I, I skipped over it because I got past my notes and the Lord sent me a, a, a different direction. But I want you guys to see this because I don't ever hear them complaining about changing their names. The scripture never talks about um, Daniel going to the king and saying, hey, I oppose you changing our names. It was only about their diet. Why do you think that is? Here's what I think. Because Daniel knew who he was. Because those three boys knew who they were. They were secure in their relationship with Christ. They were secure in their relationship with God. They knew who they were. As if to say, you call me whatever you want to call me. But it's not going to change who I am. <laughs> you call me by whatever name you want to call me. But I am a child of the king. And there is nothing you can do to change who I am. Do you know who you are today? Do you know who you are? I feel like we need to close right here and we need to have an altar call. I feel that there may be somebody here who doesn't quite know who they are. They have lived a life that they think is pleasing and, and, and acceptable. And it's almost like the every temptation at every corner that it's hard to resist. It's hard to turn down. And, and I, I, I want to know, I want to be so strong in my faith that I can look at that temptation and say, I will no longer do that, but rather I will serve my one true living God. So with all eyes closed and all heads bowed in this place right here, God, we need to have a moment. If you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, I want that type of faith. You say, Pastor, I want that type of strength because I know who I am. I know today I am a child of the King and I will not allow culture in this world to dictate how I am to live. So today I want to know that I have the faith to withstand every attack of the enemy. If that's you, raise your hand. My goodness. You may say, Pastor, I'm in this room and I've accepted Christ. But Pastor, I'm sorry. I, I, I know that sometimes life has hit me sideways and I've done things that, I've, that I, I would regret. And today I want to rededicate my life back to you and I want to know for a fact that my name is written down in that Lamb's Book of Life. Would you slip up your hand? First, one, two, three, come on. I want to pray for you today. 
And if you raised your hand for any of these things, whether it be to take the courage and the boldness to stand, or whether it be to rededicate your life to Christ, I'd like for you to stand where you are and come down to, to this altar. The music is about to play, and this altar isn't anything special, but I'm telling you what, that when the presence of God is here, this altar is transforming. It's a place where change can be made. It's a place where we're, where we're in His presence. You say, Pastor, I can do that right at my seat. And you know what? You can. But there's something about the boldness to stand. There's something about the boldness to get up and to take a step. Because you see what happens, church? When we take a step towards God, he'll, he'll, he, he, he will meet you there. Did you know that? That when you take a stand and you begin to step towards the presence of God, he'll meet you right there. And this altar right now represents a place of his presence. It represents a place where I say that I'm not going to bow down to the things of this world. But rather I'm going to stand on the word of God. So if that's you right now, I'm going to give you a minute. Would you 